In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We are now in week three of our stewardship campaign. In week one, we began with the idea of stewardship by focusing on what it means to steward our relationships with God. Last week, Father Chris talked about stewarding our relationships with one another. And this week, I'll continue the conversation of stewardship by focusing on how we steward the blessings God has given us. And I'll do so by drawing directly from our gospel text. When Jesus tells a parable, oftentimes what he does is he establishes a dichotomy. The parable itself will often paint one half of the story. And what Jesus says after the parable paints the other half. And by painting these two halves together, Jesus is able to compare and to contrast different elements of the story. He's able to take the similarities and the differences and use them to draw our attention to something deeper than the parable itself. And our gospel text today, the parable of the persistent widow, is a classic example of this. Jesus begins painting the first half of his dichotomy with a three-verse parable. In the first line of the parable, Jesus says that there's a judge who neither fears God nor respects man. Now, why does does Jesus describe the judge like that? Why include those very specific qualities? Well, I think Jesus includes those qualities because he's painting a picture of the worst kind of judge possible. A, A judge that does not fear God is a judge that acknowledges no authority above himself. A judge that does not respect man is a judge that acknowledges no value outside of himself. And that combination is certainly not what a judge should be. A judge is supposed to administer justice according to the law, a law that is higher than himself. A judge is supposed to administer that law fairly to every single person. But this judge exhibits none of those qualities. So if you came before this judge, it wouldn't matter if you were a powerful man. It wouldn't matter if you were an established pillar of the community. So what if you had an impeccable reputation and who cares if you have friends in high places? This judge doesn't respect you. This judge doesn't even fear God. Powerful and capable people could come before this judge and receive no justice. In a masterstroke, Jesus paints a picture with very few words of a cold, indifferent authoritarian who inhabits a position of massive power. This judge exercised his power as he saw fit, answering only to himself and cared for nothing other than his own interests. And it's into that bleak picture of a cold tyrant that Jesus adds another layer to his painting. Jesus says that a widow came before this terrible judge seeking justice. A woman who possessed no clout or power. A woman who was supremely vulnerable. A woman who could have been taken advantage of by practically everyone now stood in front of a judge who respected no one. What possible chance could this poor woman have to receive justice? And for a while... The story unfolded just as you would expect. The widow came to the judge asking for justice, and the judge refused her. He turned her away. But the widow appeared to be undeterred by this rejection. 
she returned again and again to the judge asking for justice. And again and again the judge refused her. The cycle of the widow asking and the judge refusing continued for some time. But then Jesus said one day the judge finally had enough. In verse 4, continuing into 5, it says this, For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. My favorite translation of that last phrase, so she will not beat me down by her continual coming, says, I will give her justice because she's wearing me out. Like, that's the, that's the picture there. Seemingly against all odds, the sheer will of this widow had worn the judge down, and he gave the justice she sought. But I want you to notice something crucial. Jesus makes sure that you understand the judge doesn't give this widow justice because he had had some change of heart. The judge doesn't relent and aid this helpless woman because he's had some conversion experience. No. Even though he gave this helpless woman the justice she sought, he did it as a judge who still neither feared God nor respected man. And it's with that crucial idea that the parable itself ends. Jesus has painted the first half of his dichotomy, and the picture of it shows that even a terrible, calloused judge could find a reason to give justice to even the most vulnerable of people. And in the verses that follow after, Jesus begins painting the other side of the picture. He begins painting a picture that compares and contrasts the parable. And he begins this by asking a simple question. Look starting in verse 7. Jesus says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus then answers this question in the next sentence. Jesus answered and said, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Do you see the things that are being compared and contrasted there? Do you see how Jesus is beginning to shade in, to paint the other side of the picture? On the first side of the picture, Jesus describes a judge who lacks the qualities of a just and merciful judge. And on the other side of the picture, Jesus contrasts that judge with God himself, a judge who is the very essence of justice and mercy. The first side of the picture shows a terrible judge that can be worn down and eventually give you justice just to make you go away. But on the other side of the picture, Jesus shows a God who needs no convincing. He shows a God that does not need to be pestered to death to give you what's good. God is a judge that wants to give justice to you quickly. And if seeing that contrast between a terrible judge and the Lord Almighty was the only thing of note in our text, I could just say amen right here and go take a seat. But guys, there's something else going on in our gospel text, and I think understanding it changes everything. The last sentence of verse 8 says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, what in the world does that have to do with anything? I thought we were talking about justice and mercy. 
And yet, Jesus tosses in this question about faith? So how does that question about faith in the Son of Man fit into the dichotomy Jesus has painted? Well, the short answer is this. It doesn't just fit into the picture. That question is the central feature around what this whole text is painted. That question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth, is a continuous feature of the gospel story itself. The tension between God's arrival in creation and God's rejection by his creatures is seemingly in every single picture Christ paints. But the focus here isn't primarily on the rejection of God by the world, is it? In verse 7, Jesus asks if God will give justice to who? To his elect. And the answer is yes, he will do so speedily. But then he asks, will any of that matter when the Son of Man comes to the earth? The focus is placed on the chosen people of God. God stewarded his elect, his chosen people. And he did so with the utmost care and attention. And yet the question in verse 8 remains, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus in Luke 18, was being rejected by the very people God had chosen to bear his name, his elect, a people he singled out 2,000 years before when he called Abraham are now scoffing at him. They're refusing to believe in him. Even though God had always been quick in answering the cries of his people, even though he lavished them with blessing after blessing, even though he protected and cared for them for thousands of years, even though they would have the honor of being the people through whom the hope of the world was born, even after all of that, would God find faith in them when he came? And the tragic answer to that question is that when the Son of Man came to Israel, when he came to his very own, when he came to the people he chose, he found very little faith indeed. Even though his people possessed the law, even though they had the temple, even though God himself walked their streets, many in Israel had no faith. Instead, the people were fixated on the law, but they disregarded the lawgiver. They revered the temple and rejected the one for whom the temple was built. They claimed devotion to God. They claimed allegiance to God, and they did so as they plotted to kill God in the flesh. Somehow, way, his people had taken all of the good things God had given them and fashioned them into idols. Idols that were so, they were so focused on, idols they were so enraptured with that when the Son of Man came to earth, very few of his own people even noticed and it's on that idea where I want to try, to try to land this this morning. It seems so very easy for the people of God, the people that he has lavishly blessed, to become preoccupied with the things God has given them. To become preoccupied with the things God has given them and then ignore the one who gave them. It seems very easy to value his blessings above the one who blesses. And with every bone in my body, I do not want that to be us. 
Having a conversation where we can talk about stewarding the blessings that God has given us is a great place to start. Where whatever it is that God has given us, whatever it is that God has lavishly poured upon us, He's done so because He loves us and He wants us to love Him. He's blessed us because He wants us to see Him clearer, to know Him deeper. He's blessed us in the hopes that it deepens our faith, that it deepens our love for Him. And we should steward those blessings well. We should steward those blessings wisely. But we must never conflate the blessings of God with God Himself. Imagine, husbands, you wanted to take your wife and show her the depth of your love, so perhaps you you take her out for an exquisite dinner. Perhaps you buy her a new dress and you give her a bouquet of roses. But if she marveled over the deliciousness of the food, if she adored the beauty of the dress, if she delighted in the aroma of the roses and failed to delight in the one who gave them, if she were to delight in the things you gave her but not in you, if you can imagine that, then I think you can imagine what Christ is talking about in this parable. A mentor of mine who had a habit of being very wise once told me, Bubba, it seems to me that God wants a people that seek his face, not his hand. And the longer I've lived, the truer that line has become. God has blessed us here, and we should steward those blessings with every bit of honesty and confidence and transparency that's possible this side of heaven. And I'm thankful we have an entire month to talk about how best to do that. But can we agree on something? Can we agree that there is a danger that we face, a danger that the people of God will seek the blessings of God instead of seeking God himself? Because if we can agree on that, then we can be vigilant together. If we're vigilant together, we will not only steward well the things God has given us, but we'll never seek His blessings more than we're seeking Him. And if we can do that here at CTR, we can answer His question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? We can answer that with a resounding yes. Amen.